It is awe-inspiring. It never gets old. Every once in a while, I will be in the subway in New York, and I see someone with a Yankees jacket. And there are five Yankees logos that I did a while ago already. So perspective is in order. Sports is different. Sports fans are different. When it comes to our logos and uniforms, we attach scrutiny to these things in a way that no other kind of consumer does. Uh, Sports fans are the most ardent brand loyalists anywhere. Sports fans get tattoos of their logos. I know sports writers are big fans of Marriott, but there are probably not a lot of sports writers with Marriott tattoos. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closets by Design. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould, and join this week, a little bit of a curveball, but I'm really excited for this conversation because we're going to talk sports logos, we're going to talk sports history, and who better to talk about that with than Todd Radom, author and graphic designer. And Todd, I have to tell you that as I'm here in my office, the treehouse as we call it, I am surrounded by logos that you designed. I got the Bush Stadium closing, the Bush Stadium opening. I have the Colorado Rockies 20th anniversary logo, all these things. So I'm I'm not seeing you, but I'm seeing your work. And <laughs> if people don't know your name, they at least know your work. And I hope they should know their name, you know your name soon. Thank you so much, Todd. Oh, Derek, thank you so much for having me on. I can't wait to dig in. Uh, I appreciate you, and uh, yeah, the the, uh, the the work is it goes back a long way, and we'll be talking about it. I'm sure. You bet. You you did a logo that is near and dear to me. Um, I have to tell you why, um, but first I'm going to tell you what that logo is. It's the Wichita Wind Surge. Did you you did design that right? I did. I did a great great project. A little bit something different. Yeah. What so. Before I tell you why that logo means much, when you're starting a team, that's effectively what they're st- they were starting a new brand, new team, new everything. What goes into trying to pull together what's the right look for that logo? Wow. Uh, yeah, I always say that, you know, some of these jobs, as you can imagine, are uh, complete teardowns. Some are renovations where you're just tidying up around the edges. But in the case of the Wichita Wind Surge, this was a long project. It was a two-year runway. Uh, between the time that uh, I certainly knew that the New Orleans baby cakes were going to be relocating to Wichita, the late Lou Schweckheimer, owner mm-hmm. of the uh, of the ball club, who I missed dearly, was uh, so involved, somebody who absolutely loved the process, loved design. And uh, anyway, it was an expansive conversation. And there were a number of stakeholders, certainly with the club, um, who said, you know, eventually we we came to this conclusion that uh, it was going to be a pretty, you know, buttoned up major league look. Uh, Wichita, mm. for people who are not aware, is, if I'm not mistaken, the 50th biggest city in the United States. So mm. not a backwater place. And he and uh, the club wanted a, um, uh, a, a, you know, a pretty serious looking identity. Let's put it that way. So... You know, we went through, I can't even quantify, Derek. There were just a ton of conceptual sketches. What is this going to be? First of all, what is the name of the team going to be? I mean, that was that was quite a thing. And long story short, it all culminated with the uh, announcement in Wichita. I was there in November of 2019, and mm-hmm. I was so happy to see that club get off the ground this past season. Better late than never. Uh, and, uh, you know, with some twists and turns along the way 
So why that team? I've never lived in Wichita. I've driven through Kansas numerous times, more times than I can count um, between going from Mizzou to Colorado or St. Louis to Colorado. But why that team means something to me is because when we moved to Colorado, the Denver Bears existed. The Denver Bears quickly changed their name to the Denver Zephyrs. That was the team I grew up with, the Denver Zephyrs. Um, Got to go on the field for birthdays, got to meet some of the players, went constantly to games at Mile High Stadium, the Denver Zephyrs. Out of college, my first job was in New Orleans at the Tom's Picayune. And what was the professional team there at the time? The New Orleans Zephyrs, which had moved (laughs) from Denver in 93. And I'm like, what a treat, you know, for me to first cover professional baseball um, at the newspaper after college. I'd, I'd done some Marlins stuff as an intern. But for it to be the Zephyrs, of course it had to be the Zephyrs. This is the team I grew up with, and now here it is in New Orleans, where they kept the name because of a roller coaster there in New Orleans. Uh, Zephyr wouldn't, you know, wind out of the mountains wouldn't necessarily fit for a team in New Orleans, except for the roller coaster was there. Then they became the Baby Cakes, and then they moved to Wichita. When you are, and I've 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 wanted to ask you this, so this is great. Like, I can go on the podcast here and ask you this. And so when you start from scratch with the Windsor, did you draw on any of the history of the logos leading up to that team being in Wichita? No, no, uh, not really. I mean, they really wanted a clean break. They wanted to establish something completely new and completely for that particular community uh, with, uh, you know, no obvious connection, uh, that kind of thing. So it's kind of funny that they've kind of followed you around like that. Uh, <laughs> you need to go to a you need to go to a game at that beautiful stadium. I know you're usually busy during the summer, but it is beautiful. Uh, yeah, there in Wichita. yeah, it's really spectacular. But no, to your point, uh, clean break starting from scratch. That's not the case when you do a Cardinals related logo. I would imagine, right? <laughs> no, you've to got put a lot it of history. Yeah, to put it lightly, a lot of history to draw upon. Um, both on and off the field, and certainly a club with a visual heritage. We can talk about the Yankees, the Tigers, the Red Sox, et cetera, et cetera, but the Cardinals are, I think, unsurpassed as far as their visual history is concerned. Did you work – so the Cardinals logos recently that you you did, you did the closing of Bush Stadium, right, the final year at Old Bush, and then the first year at New Bush – Correct. Those two logos, did you work on in tandem so that they had some mirror qualities or were these separate things? Those were separate things. And of course, uh, two completely different marks, which track two completely different looking ballparks, right? Yeah. Uh, And I have to say, I have uh, fond memories of the old place to me, you know, having visited, uh, I think, something like 52, 53 different major league stadiums, you know, for games. Uh, in my life, I remember the old ballpark as being, you know, one of the cookie cutter generations, certainly, but with a lot of wonderful mid-century details, which I tried to capture in the mark. Uh, the current Bush Stadium, another beautiful ballpark in a very different way. All that brick and ironwork and the two birds perched atop the towers. Uh, it was supposed to be a little more perhaps traditional in outlook, but they did kind of you know, because of the years involved, uh, follow one another pretty closely. The You've been in the sports logo business and primarily baseball for about 30 years. How have you seen this 
change. I mean, I, I think these these ballpark closing, ballpark opening, anniversary logos that we see stamped on baseballs, T-shirts, hats, all that stuff, relatively new, not not happening maybe at the beginning, right, when you were first in this. Yeah, I mean, when I broke into sports design, which is kind of a long story perhaps for another day, because um, <laughs> <laughs> it is a long story, uh, this was in the very early 1990s, and this coincided with a time, uh, just kind of this perfect storm, I always call it, Derek. The uh, fact is that at that time, licensing, uh, the sales of stuff with logos was exploding. Um, professional leagues, not so much teams at that point, but leagues were sort of professionalizing their, um, their, their design operations in-house. And there was a need for for more logos, people, you know, we needed to feed that fire. When you think about it from kind of a macro perspective, there were a lot of expansion teams coming on board uh, across all big four professional leagues at that time. Um, and people were just buying stuff with logos. So the timing was very good to uh, break into that. And, you know, as far as commemorative marks are concerned, baseball has always had this tradition where, um, you know, sleeve patches for civic yeah. celebrations certain players at times um you know it goes way way back my research has revealed that the first commemorative logo on an mlb uniform was in 1907 the chicago white Sox, on their road uniforms wore a patch celebrating their 1906 world series victory oh, it was wow. gigantic so the tradition <laughs> goes a long long ways back and uh my love of design of certainly baseball and a history of all sorts kind of led me right to this. So uh, right place, right time. What's so what is your, where does your fondness for baseball? Always a baseball fan, baseball above other sports. I know you've written a book fabric of the game about hockey. So hockey also in the mix there at some point in time, but was, was baseball kind of your route into sports because that was the sport you adored earliest. Yeah, I mean, uh, I always say that, and you live this, Derek, <laughs> baseball is sort of the background of summer for so many people, myself yeah. included, and it always has been. Um, in the 70s, growing up in New York, uh, very different world in terms of how we received our our games, uh, but uh, of course, two teams here, both Mets and Yankees. So watching games on television, going to Mets and Yankees games with my father, um, at a time when our uniforms and logos really <laughs> were quite vibrant and sometimes mm -hmm. questionable, uh, perhaps, was uh, a very inspiring thing. Um, also, I come from a family of artists. I'm a fourth-generation working artist, not wow. a great athlete as a kid necessarily. So I always say that I looked at sports through a bit of a different lens and being um, kind of bombarded with a lot of baseball in New York at that time led me to baseball as probably my first uh, sports crush and my strongest still to this day. Where did, so like, like, that's amazing. Fourth generation artist. So was your art as a youth, like, how would you describe it? Was it drawing, was it drawing logos? Was it recreating logos? Was it, was it drawing figures? Was it, was it aspiring to create the next, you know, Superman? <laughs> uh, a little bit of each of those things. Uh, I was one of these kids that uh, could, you know, kind of like quietly close my door and sit and doodle and draw and yeah. draw stuff from life. 
and uh, crosshatch with pen and ink, use markers. When I was a kid, I was, you know, like like so many kids who uh, who grow up you know, loving drawing and being inspired by stuff like this. Yeah, doodling logos. I still have a scorecard that I doodled every American League headwear mark in from a Yankees game uh, from, uh, I was probably 13, 14 years old. Wow. Kept it, still have it. So yeah, so the love for the sports stuff goes way back. And uh, to your point, a little bit of everything you know, mixed in with that. How, how does that feel to go from recreating logos designed by somebody else to then designing logos that some kid is recreating on their scorecard now? <laughs> it's a great question, and it is awe-inspiring. It never gets old. Uh, every once in a while, I will be, you know, give you a good example, in the subway in New York, and I see someone with a Yankees jacket, and there are five Yankees logos that I did a while ago already. Yeah. So perspective is in order, and uh, I would say that, you know, Sports is different. Sports fans are different. When it comes to our logos and uniforms, we attach scrutiny to these things in a way that no other kind of consumer does. Uh, sports fans are the most ardent brand loyalists anywhere. Sports fans get tattoos of their logos. You know, I know sports writers are big fans of Marriott, but there are probably <laughs> not a lot of sports writers with Marriott tattoos. <laughs> don't don't sell it short. Uh, we could find no. some. They they might have their num their 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 uh, their membership number tattooed, so they never forget <laughs> it. Yeah. So anyway, it is uh, always just amazing to see, and it's very um, you know inspiring for those projects that kind of get bogged down, which does happen. Uh, you know, to to see that kind of stuff helps in terms of persevering through all of it. I have like a cork board beside my desk and I'm leaning back here to look at it, to go, how many of the logos on it did you do? And I'm, I'm like, cause I have the Yankee stadium closing logo, the last yep. year of Yankee stadium, that one. Um, I have that on a baseball card. I have the Rockies 20th anniversary patch, which was given to me. That's one. Um, I have the two Bush stadium one. So that's four. I'm looking to see if I uh, if there are any other. Oh, and there's a baseball here on my on my desk, which is uh, the Target Field opening. So, all right, well, oh. it's just down the road, and you did that as well. So I did. I'm I did. surrounded by by Todds. Uh, <laughs> I am honored, Derek. No, I I like. I mean, I think there's there's something cool to me, like the patches, like you mentioned, the the history of the patches are there. There is something really neat uh, that baseball has done now which is putting it on the baseball for events. I, yes. I just, I think there's, there's something really neat about having that mark, you know, on a ball, you know, we have, uh, um, I don't think I'm at, when my son was born. So <laughs> here's another Todd that we have in the house. <laughs> um, when my son was born, he was born in 2006, which is the first year of that ballpark. He was given a ball uh, from a game. Um, you know, he was an infant and he was given a ball from the game and we would take a photo with him and that baseball as he grew just to show how he grew. And on that ball is the logo from the year 2006, the first year of Bush Stadium. 
because it always gave that, you know, imprint for where that ball was from. So there you go. There's another Todd in my life. It's there's photos <laughs> of it all over. And a bit, and and uh, I would be remiss if I didn't say this, Derek. Uh, 2006, a big year for the Cardinals in many, many ways. Yes. And sometimes it's better to be lucky than good with this stuff. And to be uh, in some tangential way associated with a special season, something as special as you're talking about with with your son, um, you know, it's a pretty neat thing. So what what goes in? So what goes into the artistic element of it? Like you know, I I hope I'm asking this correctly. Like as you sit down to work on either a new logo or a logo for an anniversary or the logo of a first year of a stadium last year of the stadium, is it still in your room doodling with pencil and paper? Is it more tech now, like using the computer and iPad and pulling from stuff like that? How how has that process changed? And, you know, but still kind of through, like you said, that artist eye you had even out at Shea as a kid. Yeah, I mean, it, it does encompass all of those things, and I'll give you, you know, some specifics on what things are different, what what what's different now relative to all those years ago. First and foremost, I think I'd I'd be uh, I need to say that every logo for a team, for a team's anniversary, for a stadium, uh, starts and you know starts with the fact that every fan base is different, and every mm-hmm. fan base deserves something that speaks directly to who they are, to their experience. Um, Obviously, Kansas City is a different place from the New York. Uh, Minneapolis, a different place from Phoenix. So to understand that particular fan base, what the visual history is, what the sensibilities are, you know, that's kind of like I know a certain amount of this, but research, research, research is always key. You know, what, what, uh, I mean, that's where it all starts before pencil hits paper or, uh, Apple pencil hits iPad or however (laughs) I'm going to do it. (laughs) And it usually is a combination of all of these things. And, you know, usually what happens is, uh, it starts on, starts with the research part, kind of gives me a solid foundation of knowledge. Uh, I will certainly refer to past, uh, marks that a club has worn, I'll look at other clubs, make sure I'm not going someplace that coincides with somebody else's look and then kind of attack it. And then, um, you know, it's a process. You kind of beat it out, take it too far, bring it back in, put forth a series of very tightly realized uh, digital sketches. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there is that next process, which is what I always describe as how the sausage gets made. It is not pretty. Um, but hopefully it's going to taste good at the end of the process when things finally get approved. You, you redesign, um, like kind of a special season ticket thing for the white Sox, I believe. Right. Yes. Is that 2017? Correct. Um, and in addition to that at, at your website, toddradom.com, there's a shop there. And right now there are these prints, um, including one for the 1886 St. Louis baseball team that won the championship that they're still trying to wrestle with whether or not they acknowledge. <laughs> uh, oh my goodness. That's a whole podcast in and of itself. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, We could do that. And then there, then there's also one for St. Louis with the arch and the courthouse. And it's a city of champions um, with a baseball floating over there. Just definitely a baseball town. And I bring all those things up because looking at those prints, which are available there at toddradom.com and also like the Boston ball club and the uh, Brooklyn one, 
um, there's just like this like real retro elegance to the to what you've done here just with even with the with the font used um the clarity of the uh, of the look i just i just really it's just and the, those tickets with the white socks really popped for me because you got to see all, a very distinct array of styles and all of them at their root just had like this this retro elegant feel that uh, that w- it was clear came from research and feel and but also just a, a fondness for it like i get the sense in your work that you really adore the source, whether that's pulling from history or creating new history like you did with the Washington Nationals logo. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate your kind words, Derek. Um, One of the things that I've worked on for years that is not um, necessarily public facing is uh, I am responsible for the uh, research and renderings and constant archiving of Major League Baseball's Cooperstown collection, series of logos. And this is a project that uh, I started on in 1992. So it's been a a hot minute. Um, And basically what that's all about is um, researching and, um, again, uh, making digital these logos of the past, uniform lettering, sleeve patches, headwear marks, um, and making those available to licensees, broadcast partners, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I also handled this job, the equivalent of this job for the NBA in the late nineties when they started their hardwood classics collection. Sure. I've done the same thing with minor league baseball with their hometown, uh, collection, um, you know, starting back in about 2006 or so. So anyway, my love of not necessarily all things retro, but history. It really does stem from that, uh, including the history of design and typography. And it's a really cool thing to kind of burrow down on a project like that White Sox ticket uh, package and become a time traveler of sorts. Imagine myself (laughs) as a designer in uh, 1955 or in 1901 or 1977 and uh kind of inhabit these different costumes that's fantastic um we're approaching the 100th anniversary of the birds on the bat and the cardinals being the cardinals as opposed to being named for the cardinal color which they were (laughs) for the first two decades of of that mascot the birds didn't come until 1922 when you know they the story I think I've told on the podcast before um, out in Ferguson, there was a meeting where they were speaking where Branch Rickey was the speaker. Um, and all of a sudden from that, you know, to decorate the tables, the, there was little bird emblems put there and they were put on thread, which be, was to represent a twig. And then Branch took that idea uh, and ran with it to become the birds on the bat. As you were doing that research for the Cooperstown collection, and, you know, being from New York and, and knowing Cardinal baseball from probably being a rival to the Mets, I would imagine. Did your appreciation for the history of that logo grow? Has it grown as you've been in, in this job? Yeah, without question. And uh, I I would uh, have to drop uh, Gary Codner's name in here, a guy you probably know, mm-hmm. who has worked with Bill DeWitt III and researching all that stuff and, you know, Certainly the great resources that the Cardinals have internally, having visited uh, them and their Hall of Fame, going back to, you know, the early 2000s to get this stuff right. So 
you know, I am one of these people that regardless of fandom, and I'm actually a Red Sox fan, and that's another long story, perhaps for another time. <laughs> Even though I grew up in New York, uh, you can imagine how that's gone, uh, until recently at least. But anyway, right. um, you know, I just you know, love the history of things like the Tigers, Old English D, mm-hmm. uh, which predates their time in Major League Baseball. This was utilized going back to the Western League in the 1890s. So anyway, to travel out to St. Louis and to actually uh, be able to hold in my hands, you know, a 1926 game-worn Cardinals jersey with those beautiful birds on bat, see how that's evolved. I've always appreciated it, and I have to say that I appreciate it now more than ever. Why? What's the aesthetic appeal of it? Why, why do the Cardinal? Why are they in the conversation for the best logo? So a couple of things. I think the uniform itself. When we look at the Cardinals uniform, uh, I always say that it has kind of totality to it. Uh, there are. I always think that you know. I am not a musician. I am not an architecture. Um, but I am an artist and kind of an amateur photographer as well. And I think that all of these disciplines, um, when there is harmony uh, going on and good composition and just the right amount of notes in terms of music or just the right amount of elements in terms of architecture, it works. And the Cardinals work. And why do, why do why does the whole thing work? Well, for a couple of reasons. The Cardinals' birds on bat, just a beautiful thing, just the right amount of color. The script as it exists today is just so elegant. It's intertwined with that bat and it interplays with the with the birds in such a beautiful way. And then you travel down to this oversized number, which disappeared from the jerseys in the mm-hmm. late 70s, early 80s, and it just looked wrong. It always looked wrong. When that was restored, it also disappeared in 1997 when uh, Mark McGuire was out there doing his thing. Um, but you know, it is such a beautiful, harmonious look. So that is number one, just aesthetically. It's wonderful. Number two, uh, you know, I said it before, uh, look, better to be lucky than good. It is associated with greatness. There is a direct Mm -hmm. line that can be drawn from Rogers Hornsby to Grover Cleveland, Alexander to Musial, those great teams of the forties up to Bob Gibson, blah, 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 right up to the current day. So, you know, there is excellence attached to it. And then finally, there's an evolution. Um, when you look at images of those uh, great teams from, you know, the dynasty of the 40s, you know, they're the Cardinals. They're clearly the Cardinals. It's a little bit different. But so it's got aesthetics, it's got history, and it's got structure attached to it. And that's an unbeatable combination of things. Are you, why do you think like the interlocking STL, which comes from the fire department or the interlocking NY that comes from the police department metal designed by Tiffany? Why do you think those have such lasting looks, why, timeless looks? Yeah. I mean, they're rooted in heraldry, really, when you think yeah, about Oh, great it. point. Yeah. You know, so this is something that is. I think familiar and understandable and something that goes back to, you know, probably Roman times, right? Um, I mean, it's a pretty powerful thing. I actually did a blog post and I can provide you with a link to that about why interlocked letters in sports are so interesting. And this goes across, you know, various sports, but baseball does it best, of course, because baseball has been around the longest and it has 
probably the deepest set of visual traditions. But, uh, you know, I always think to myself, Derek, you know, I've traveled in bizarre places, walking down the street in Havana or Mm -hmm. someplace in Central Europe and seeing somebody with a New York Yankees NY logo on their heads. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I mean, it probably represents something to them that, that, that uh, goes beyond the knowledge of Aaron Judge's, you know, um, <laughs> launch angle or all of this kind of thing. But, but at any rate, um, they're you know when they're done well, they're beautiful and they do a lot with a little. And that really is the ultimate compliment that I give uh, in terms of a logo. If you can do a lot with a little, that's the best thing imaginable. Oh, that's a great description. Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, because yeah, it has to carry a lot of. It has to carry a lot of weight, a logo does, um, or it has to carry the weight that people invest in it. You know what I mean? Like if, uh, and that's true for a Nike swoosh too. I mean, absolutely. You know, people see that and, or the Adidas logo, people see that and they invest a lot of weight, a lot of history in it. That's fascinating. So what, uh, is there, uh, is there a part, uh, a little twist, a little nod of appreciation, a little, little stitch of trivia, pun intended, um, that you appreciate about the Cardinals look that you learned by coming here. We, we both talked before recording how much Bill DeWitt third, how much care he puts into kind of being respectful of the past as they make these tweaks. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, preserving the history and really championing, uh, championing, championing graphic design, which is a rare thing. You know, usually this is, it's commercial. It is, you know, it is crass. Uh, it is exploited for commerce. But uh, certainly, Mr. Dewitt and the Cardinals value their visual history uh, as much as any sports franchise ever I've ever worked with, and I've worked mm. with a lot of them over the years. You know, in terms of the history, um, I, I think you know the the Cardinals have the evolution's been steady. Uh, certainly in the last few years, people probably have not even noticed the subtle changes that have taken place uh, with the STL, with the <laughs> birds on bat over the years. But these have been nods to the fact that we live in a digital world now, which really was not a consideration 10, 15 years ago, certainly was not 25 years ago, sure was not in 1922. So uh, these are the kind of things that that ball club does really well. These very subtle changes that, uh, again, most people aren't even going to even going to notice. A few of us got to stare at the new logo almost every day as we walked by back before the well, before the pandemic, when we were allowed in the clubhouse, we'd walk by it. And you're right. I mean, it was almost like we saw it every day, but we didn't (laughs) notice the subtle change to it. Could, Could you explain what you mean by digital? I mean, they softened the edges of it. They also made it, um, they took away or they added sort of a balance to the S that had over time kind of evolved into almost like a serpent with a f- head and a tail that were different. <laughs> well, um, yeah. <laughs> um, what, uh, wh- what do you mean by how the digital age influences that? So, you know, with uh, something like the STL lockup or the Yankees NY or the Tigers D or the Red Sox uh, Fancy B, uh, these logos that have been around for years and years and years, think about the fact that uh, when they originated, they were drawn by hand. They were eventually on a cap, let's say, in these instances, 
where maybe it was a piece of felt that was cut out by a human hand and applied uh, and stitched on there, or some, you know, maybe crude embroidery back then. There were no style guides. There were no codified rules of the road in terms of how to use these things. So they have evolved. So that's the first thing to know. Um, in terms of the digital part of it, uh, you know, back when I started doing this in the 90s, shortly before there was such a thing as MLB.com, um, certainly before, way before social media, um, the logos existed in a space that had to do with the printed page. But mm. um, the fact that we, uh, I think we all see things a little bit differently than we might have 10 years ago by virtue of the fact that we have our faces and our phones or our iPads, you know, we see color differently. Uh, think about our ballpark experience, the way that LED lighting has changed the way right, we perceive point. color. And the structure of these logos has needed to evolve with all of this as well, because these things scale up to enormous proportions in high definition on scoreboards, sometimes are applied literally to the sides of buildings uh, in an all-star city, for instance. And then they shrink down to the size of a Twitter avatar on your phone. And, um, you know, that didn't always succeed uh, previously. So the tweaks that have taken place are for all good structural reasons that go beyond aesthetics. That was one of the driving ideas behind changing subtly the, the Cardinals interlocking STL was because they wanted to make an oversized version for selfies. And as they did, they realized there were so many sharp edges. Yeah. And how would that play on something that they wanted somebody to stand beside? Does that make sense? Like, like absolutely, like, wow, this is really pokey. Yeah. And how do we smooth that a little bit? So yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't thought about like scaling up the logo. You know, it might not. You know, some of the. Well, for example, maybe like the Orioles logo of the past. If you scaled that up, it it, it would lose some of its um, detail and yep, in a way absolutely. that would be unrecognizable. Wow. Well, and, and also to, to add to that, you know, design like anything, you know, there's this evolution in terms of trends in the nineties sports design, as you will recall, and as your listeners probably recall, you know, it was uh, in large part about very, very complicated logos with a lot of colors and a lot of outlines. And think about the Tampa Bay devil rays of the era gradated colors that mm -hmm. you could not have achieved a couple of years before that. So these were right. all the result of uh, the fact that we started to, you know, I started my career doing things by hand. Um, but when everything went digital, people went nuts. Um, and, <laughs> and then things kind of got pared back. And then just the last thing I would add to this piece of the puzzle uh, would be the fact that uh, caps themselves, the embroidered logos on caps, got very dimensional and puffy at a certain right. point, uh, maybe, you know, within the last 15 years. And uh, that obliterated some of these wonderful, subtle details. And, um, you know, the on-field cap is what it's all about. So uh, selfie opportunities, Instagrammable spaces in a ballpark, it's the kind of stuff we need to think about now. Wow. that And how, how did... Like, is there an example of that, like within the, the anniversary or the stadium logos that you do where where you have where that is reflected? I mean, because like you said, um, I mean, I think I think of the target field one. It was huge. Like it was a banner, I think, or maybe even a sign at the place yeah. when it opened. Um, All star game logos. Th those are massive now. They make them into carpets. 
Um, yep. You know, you can buy a flag with it on it and, I, and maybe even an oversized flag. Um, so like what, what, what is reflected? What awareness of that do you have that is reflected in, in that logo? Well, a couple of things. I always joke about the fact that uh, back in the early 90s, the uh, absolute bulletproof test for any logo would be, what does it look like on a fax cover sheet in black and white? <laughs> so how, how does it distill down to perhaps its most simple form and yet be able to hold up and communicate what it needs to communicate? Um, one other thing, which we have not talked about, is that our logos today, particularly in sports, need to move and peel apart mm. and animate uh, motion graphics, which is such a big deal Great in sports. Point. Think about, uh, you know, uh, you know, either either watching a game uh, on broadcast and seeing those, you know, intros before in, during breaks or before innings or whatever, or on the scoreboard at a ballpark or an arena. Um, so our logos really need to do more than sit there in a in a static way. And the number of logos that spin off from perhaps a primary logo uh, are you know, voluminous compared to what they used to be. I'll give yeah. you a quick example. When you think about the Cardinals, the Cardinals have a pretty robust series of assets. We think about the uh, primary logo, which at one time was contained in a circle. It is a, one, a single Cardinal on a bat with the word Cardinals. Then you've got an array of STLs. You've got script lettering which is custom-made, that says St. Louis Cardinals. There are a lot of things that uh, make up this larger package of graphics that all get deployed differently by different stakeholders. So, as, And you brought up the with the Cardinals, you brought up the LED look on the field. Um, I'm fascinated by the Victory Blue uh, yeah. that they wear on the road on Saturdays because when you see it in person, I could see how it's you know very polarizing. But it looks awesome in photos. I think. I think it looks. I, I think so too. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, you know, I said it before. I'm a child of the '70s, a time when sports uniforms went a little bit nuts, and we had a, you know, an infusion of color that uh, was incredibly refreshing. Baseball, in particular, got very conservative uh, in the late '80s. Mm-hmm. Kind of tracks America in certain respects, and. You know, I've been to, I think, 25 straight all-star games. And so to sit there and look at these teams get introduced, we have seen white uniforms at home, gray uniforms on the road. And now all of a sudden we've got, you know, uh, again, a a little bit of a mix of different colors going on, which I think is good. And certain teams can wear that light blue. Uh, Cardinals are one of them because their history in the uh, late seventies, early eighties. Um, the Phillies can, the the Blue Jays can, the Royals can, <clears throat> Yankees probably cannot. So a quick story that I, I hope you'll appreciate, and then I want to ask you some kind of just maybe I'm not sure if they're quick fire questions, but some you know some yeah rapid questions I guess we'll, we'll call it that. But uh, I think you'll appreciate. It. So you mentioned the commerce aspect of graphic design and logos and everything like that and how present that is. Uh, Build it with the third, they were, you know, stitching matters, right? Like stitching costs and the number of colors that you want in those stitching in the past, what, 15, 20 years ago, that was a big deal as teams tried to, like you said, simplify the colors in some ways to save cost on stitching. Because if you could do two color stitching, 
that was a lot cheaper, or not a lot cheaper, but enough cheaper than three-color stitching, right? So they had a yellow beak on the cardinal, and all of a sudden that's three-color stitching, right? Yellow, red, and then the black, I guess. Um, and he was like, well, you know, like, if we're going to be correct, cardinals don't have yellow beaks. It's like they, he went to an, you know, bird guide and ornithologist, all that stuff. And they don't have yellow beaks. They have red beaks. So we're doing this right. We're going to, we're going to make it more representative of the animal in the wild and go with a red beak. And the benefit will also be, we don't have that third color in the stitching. Um, and he's there at his window <laughs> and he, he's like made this choice. They switched it over. There's some blowback. You could, for a while there for 10 years later you could still find the chairs in the clubhouse that had the cardinal with the red beak they went back to a <laughs> yellow beak because he's at his kitchen looking out the window and up flies a bird that's a cardinal with a yellow beak and he's like i i that's a sign we're going back to the yellow beak isn't that great i love it and you know the cooperstown collection archival stuff that I discussed earlier that is reflected. It is a moment in time. It existed only in 1998. Yep. And uh, then all of a sudden 1999 comes around and, you know, that looks substantially like what we have today with a couple of tweaks here and there, but that's great. And that, so there's the story behind the brief time that the Cardinal had a red beak. It had both <laughs> to do with commerce and an attempt to be, what what would be that ornithologically correct? Is that the way to use that word? So yeah, they're um, probably talking about this on the Orioles equivalent of this podcast as we speak, Derek. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're very proud of that. Yeah. Uh, so okay, so some some I wanted to ask you about some few quick things. So where do you stand on turn forward the clock jerseys? Are you're talking about the uh, 1999 initiative? That sure, and also yeah. the general thought of it. Yeah, so uh, here you go. I think everything has to evolve, right? We don't want to live in a world where things never change. I don't want to live in a world where things never change. And taking this long view of history and appreciating it, you know, uh, I am totally understanding of the fact that uh, our uniforms 10 years from now, regardless of who we're talking about, probably are not going to look exactly the same uh, as they do now. Now, listen, the Cardinals, of course, wore pullover jerseys back in the 70s. Why do we need <laughs> buttons? What is the point of that? Right? right. You cover the club. There are uh, probably guys on the Cardinals who Velcro up their their they jerseys. Do. Yeah. Yep. So they're kind of like, uh, you know, a useless uh, appendage. They're an appendix. They have no no use in the fact that we've evolved. But here they are. So I think that's Okay, and I think it's going to look a little bit weird when it happens, but I do think it's going to happen eventually. It might not be next year. It might not be two years from now. But I think if you and I uh, revisit this conversation 10 years from now, we will probably have marveled over the look of the game. Now, if we look to other sports, and you do have to intertwine this uh, you know, for baseball purposes, the NBA of course, there are no home or road designations for uniforms anymore. Mm-hmm. Every team has upward of six different looks. It's a little much, and I am not necessarily a fan of the volume uh, or the the lack of you know home v road. But um, you know, hopefully, baseball doesn't go quite that wild. But here you go. One last thing on this: baseball is, as you well know, because you live it a 162-game season. It is a marathon. So I think there is room in there for some uh, variety, perhaps, 
Uh, we all, most of us do, love the turn back the clock games. Mm-hmm. So why not uh, move things forward as well? Well, along those lines, I wanted to get your thoughts on the, the city gear that they introduced in baseball, that Nike introduced and is going to spread through the other or through the other cities. Um, you know, it had Wrigleyville and Southside in Chicago. Uh, Boston had a yellow jersey. Um, the Dodgers had their <laughs> jersey. Um, there were a handful of them, and those are going to there's going to be twice as many next year. Um, I think maybe more, but, uh, the Cardinals will be in the running for that in the near future. Uh, how, what do you think of the, in, in some ways, maybe that's the turn forward the clock. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And I think most people would probably agree in when I say that I think some were better than others. It's inevitable. Um, some teams really stepped away from their look. Hello, Red mm-hmm. Sox. I'm looking at you. Uh, dressed in yellow, looking like UCLA, perhaps. Um, whereas <laughs> the, that's a the, great call, right? The white. I'm not not. I'm not going to take credit for that. Other people made that observation way before I did. But the White Sox, um, I think, did a great job. Uh, it was definitely pushed forward, but they looked like the White Sox, an extension of yeah. who they are, and they were, you know, they were pretty dope looking. Um, you know, the Cubs kind of were safe, but looked okay. Nothing not to like. Um, so the point is there are going to be hits. There are going to be misses. The Giants look, I think was a little bit polarizing, uh, partially because of the clouds over the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. And maybe it wasn't so legible. The numbers were not there. That's another thing that I have to add here, Derek, is the fact that, uh, form and function always need to come together. You know, it's important that somebody like you in a press box who is covering the game in real time, maybe not as much as it used to be, uh, can actually read the numbers, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, I would suspect, with no knowledge of this whatsoever, that the Cardinals will probably not stray too far from, you know, who they are from a visual perspective. The Yankees will probably not stray too far from who they are from a visual perspective. They got to have Bronx uh, on it, right? I mean, they have to have. You would think so, right? Yeah, Bronx bombers, bombers, Bronx. I mean, yeah, you could totally do something, and you don't have to go nuts in terms of color. You can reverse the pinstripes, but you know, the 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 Rays are probably going to do something completely different because they can. Um, Yeah, and and you know, again. What did I say earlier? Every fan base is different. Every franchise right. is different from the perspective of, you know, their sensibilities uh, visually and the heritage of that. So, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to to see how this next round rolls out. I, uh, I'll i admit this, and I realize this is a Cardinal podcast, but I really kind of like the Wrigleyville ones. I like that they went with Wrigleyville. Yeah. Um, I like that it had a very dark and almost like 1920s look about it. It, it was simple um it had the what the the mass transit coin which i thought was curious but it had that kind of look to it i i liked it i, I probably liked it more than maybe cardinal fans want to hear me say <laughs> <laughs> well we can respect the cubs visual history as much as yeah. cubs fans should respect the cardinals visual history there Cubs, yeah i mean just you know spectacular now i'm just gonna go on record and Say that the Cubs uniforms are not nearly as nice as the Cardinals, but the look of the of Wrigley Field and certainly their, I mean, you know, we could go into the weeds with their scorecard designs that sure. uh, you know date back to the '30s. Uh, all of that, yeah. I mean, you know, we can we can admire our rivals for certain reasons. Quick, quick aside: Do you score games when you go? 
I used to, uh, and I have a um, in. I have a kind of a supply closet that I am staring at right here. It's about eight feet away from where I'm sitting, and in there I have a bunch of scored uh, scorecards from seventies, eighties, nineties, early two thousands. These days, like most people, I'm you know yakking with my friends, drinking a beer, looking at my phone, checking Twitter. Gotcha. <laughs> I. Uh... I- I until graduate, I, I drew cartoons all the way through college to make money, and uh, and I've done some sports cartoons. In fact, I had I had the honor of having one at Cooperstown. Um, I have seen this online, and I know about this. Yeah, uh, which is just overwhelming. If you would have asked the the kids sketching out cartoons like like you described, doodling in your room, you know, drawing um, the cartoon I drew for the high school newspaper was. Uh, it was natural high. Uh, wasn't that fun? Because um, I was a Colorado <laughs> kid. So it was natural high school. Get it? Um, but uh, then I drew status quo at Mizzou. And uh, the, you know, to have a cartoon at the at Cooperstown is just amazing. My outlet in some ways for art is scoring the game now. I, I love doing yeah. it. Um, and my son has a great phrase for it. When he was little, he asked me if I could teach him how to draw the baseball game. That's what he called it. He there called you go. It drawing the baseball game, which I thought was fantastic. So. There you go. And and I'll say that, you know, I will, uh, and I should probably, I, I will scan a couple of these and I'll send them to you. Oh, I'd love it. I think you'll appreciate it. But, uh, you know, Absolutely. always very good handwriting, uh, even as a kid. Not necessarily, you know, cursive, but just very neat print. Nice. Uh, everything should be legible. So things that I do today kind of track back to that. Okay, so I have three three more questions for you. Um, you you probably you may know this, but the the rules regarding logos and what um, reporters can wear is somewhat limited. Like, obviously, you don't want to cover the Cardinals and show up to a press conference wearing a Cubs hat. That's oh, yeah. the, that's um, um, but I can get away with wearing one logo, and that's a Colorado Rockies logo, a hockey Rockies logo, <laughs> um, because it's a defunct team, and so I adore that logo. Um, that the the old mountain with the state flag um, kind of imprinted in it. Is there a defunct team that you would like a crack at that you know? I mean, from all the research and history that you've done, is there a defunct team that you just would, and if you could get your hands around, you, you would make that logo sing? Wow. You know, that's a great, great question. And I would have to say that there are certain defunct logos that should remain frozen in amber because they're just so wonderful. The Hartford Whalers, another NHL team, the Expos, you would never want to tinker with the Expos because it was so idiosyncratic and weird. And like, just what would you ever do with that? Right. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, that's a great, great question. Maybe the Washington Senators, because I did do the Washington Nationals, as he referenced yeah. earlier. And uh, the Senators were in the mix uh, as one of the nicknames, certainly way back when. Uh, no, um, you know, there, there's a little bit of a story there. It has been told before. Uh, the uh, city uh, representatives of the of the District of Columbia, I guess, uh you know, they are talking about building a ballpark, uh, which at, at that time and not such a uh, wealthy community. So a lot of money was going to be put into it. And Commissioner Selig, the story goes, I was not in the room for this, said, you know, loved senators because of his generation, blah, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. And the mayor of Washington said, uh, Commissioner, this is Washington, D.C. We have no senators here. We have taxation without representation. Right. Nationals, it's going to be. But anyway, uh, it would be a great 
uh, logo to revisit in some way, shape, or form. That'd Browns too. How about the St. Louis Browns right there? Right. Yeah, that's what you know with the with the brownie. Um, you, know, <laughs> you could have right some some kind of riff on that. Yeah, that's what I, I and I know your fondness for hockey logo. I love the things that are hidden in logos. Um, like you mentioned, the whalers with the tail. Um, you know, even George Washington there in DC with the, with the monument hidden in the logo. Yes. Um, I love, I love things like that. And then the, the expos, when you could look at like one of those 3d paintings forever and, not, <laughs> and find things that aren't hidden there that they didn't mean to that are, it um, contains multitudes and mystery. It does. All right. Well, I would be remiss. Uh, I have two more questions. I would be remiss on a Cardinals podcast to, to ask your stance on blue caps on the road. Cardinal wearing blue caps on the road. Are you, are you well, pro? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do remember when uh, they reintroduced the blue in the early nineties, mm-hmm. I think it was 92 and it looked weird. It looked strange to me. Um, but then understanding the history of the team a little bit better. And again, we, you know, I've referenced those, uh, the, the dynasty of the forties, Musial and Shane Deans, they wore blue. Uh, yeah. It looks kind of nice. It look, it does not look off brand. I like it. I like it. Uh, sameness, you know, um, you know, good, good things. Too much of a good thing can be not so good. So put me on record as enjoying them. How do you okay. feel about them? I, I like them. I think they, I wish they wore them on all road games, except for with the victory blue. It doesn't look all that great. No. Um, but, uh, but this red cap versus um, most teams and blue cap versus teams that have red, like, you know, the reds and the nationals. Um, I just, I, I'm, I'm pro blue cap on, on road games, except for those Saturday with the victory blues. I think that's enough red for them on the road. Yes. I think they, I think if they're going to Dodger stadium, it's okay for them to wear blue caps. If they go to San Diego, they should wear blue caps. And I think it's such a wonderful nod to the Swifties, um, to make it that way. But yep. I also like city names on road jerseys. So what do I know? <laughs> well, I do too. When uh, the, you know you're giving stink eye to the Phillies and the Rays, probably in particular, um, <laughs> and I, I did enjoy when the Cardinals uh, restored the word St. Louis to their jerseys uh, for the first time since, if I'm, I'm not mistaken, something like 1932. Correct. Yeah, but on but it's at home. Yeah, I know. at home. It's like right. Oh. Exactly. Well, you know, whatever it is, uh, you can... Cardinals were aware that you're the home team today. So thanks. <laughs> Just in case. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last thing I want to ask you, um, because we began by talking about how much has changed in your 30 years in, in this, you know, in this role, in this industry, you know, in this work that you do as a graphic design and and really creating timeless logos that, that people 100 years from now will look back on. Um, they don't have your signature on them, but they're still works of art that I hope people recognize who, who did them. Uh, what, how competitive is your industry in, in baseball. We know how competitive it is because we can see the score and we can see the salaries and in baseball writing, we can see how competitive it is because we see people come um, and really strive for jobs and do whatever they can to keep them. And we can keep score on Twitter with how things are with how they're doing or with awards. How, how competitive has your industry become in these years? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, the first thing I would say is that because of the fact that I've been involved with it for so many years, I kind of know everybody personally. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and even if I haven't met them, I've spoken to them on the phone or certainly conversed over social media or direct messaging or whatever. So, you know, I kind of like, uh, I, I, I'm, I, I, <laughs> I, I cover that territory. So having said that yeah. it is competitive, not wildly. So I think it's a generous, uh, lane where people, um, even if we might, there are some instances give you an example where i know i have given a quote to a team uh somebody i know has given a quote to that same team we will compare notes and kind of dance around the obvious but hey is there <laughs> is there a team in the state of x that's located on route x that is looking for a new <laughs> mark uh, blah 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 so you know it's that kind of thing um but where the competition really uh, comes into play these days for me personally is the fact that you've got big apparel the nikes of the world yeah. who are uh, engaged in this and uh you know they have they employ a ton of people in house they throw a lot of resources at a job so uh there are certain aspects of this that i am not um you know i'm i'm a, a bit of a of an outlier but i also do consultation on these things um so you know doing what i do takes different forms and there, there are more people involved in this, which maybe are bringing more looks to it, too. Uh, oh, yeah. Diversity. Yeah. People bring a diversity of looks. Yeah. They're, they're, and that's a good thing. And uh, and just, you know, as we've been saying all throughout, more uniforms, more uniforms. Uh, if you were, you know, involved somehow, and I'm not these days in the design of the NBA, you know, you could be doing your thing for 24-7. Right. Because yeah, there's just yeah. so many different uniforms uh, and it kind of tracks our collective attention span. Um, <laughs> it's kind of perfect. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there, there, there's always going to be, a, you know, a space for this. But uh, but anyway, it's yeah, I mean, there, there's uh, and and I think it's important to point out the fact that uh, the design of a logo or a uniform for a team um, or an event for that matter. Uh, there's about a two-year runway between the time that you start working on it and the time that it actually gets out there. Sometimes longer. Wow, I'm I'm gonna make an estimate here. It, it's just it's this we could go on forever talking about this, but I'm gonna make an estimate here and, and say that of the people listening to this podcast, eleven out of ten of them have a Todd Raydum somewhere, like whether it's on a shirt or a patch or a baseball or something that. Everybody listening to this podcast probably has an item with something you've designed on it. And that's just remarkable. That That's such a contribution um, and such a testament to the quality to me. I think, that, but it's also a responsibility, which is, which is awesome too. Yeah, absolutely. And again, uh, you know, uh, the, the level of scrutiny attached to this stuff, as I said earlier, uh, the level of passion attached to it, it's a great energizing force the fact that people care about it is really great and to hear stories like you talking about the magical year of 2006 with your son and the cardinals in the mix um those are great things and i hear these these stories frequently and uh it's heartwarming and and you know i look back at some of these older things that i've done and it just makes me smile even at the logos that don't make me smile as much as they used to some of them don't always age particularly well. Sometimes a mark or a look will be attached to a team that didn't do particularly well. But uh, the fact that people care, like I said, is very energizing. 
Todd, thank you so much for this conversation. Uh, I really appreciated Todd Radom. You can find him at his website, toddradom.com. There's a shop there with prints. If you got to check out the the ones that are St. Louis based. Um, also, you know, just just take a look around. They're they're just they're remarkable. They they have kind of uh, they, I use the word too often, but they 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 do have like a timeless quality. Like you're like, gosh, this looks modern, but it it has a feel of the history that it carries. He's also the author of books Fabric of the Game and Winning Ugly, which Winning Ugly is about is it is it baseball teams that went awry with their jerseys. No, I call it my, and I'm using air quotes right now, loving okay. homage to some of the most questionable uniforms in the history of Major League Baseball. Oh, and boy. it's kind of a history of the baseball uniform in general. Which, which, is the, which is the team that has had the most whiplash, gone from absolutely awful to great or from great to awful and maybe back to great? I have one in mind. But White Sox. White Sox. Oh, interesting. Okay. Padres maybe too, but the White Sox I'm have thinking the Padres. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, the White Sox having been around since the turn of the 20th century have a lot more history of that that maybe we're not necessarily familiar with because we weren't around then. The Padres though, yeah, like uh, you know, 50 some odd years of absolute whiplash, no question. Yeah. And Mariners may be sneaky too. They could be a sleeper pick in that. A little bit, that but they've had yeah. such a, you know, this the look that they've had has been you know, fundamentally unchanged for so many years now. Uh, I'm expecting them to uh, break out the tridents again at some point in time. <laughs> yes. Because people want it, right? Yeah, yeah. What's what, uh, We'll close on this. What's the most underrated? We know the history ones. What's the most underrated baseball look for you right now? The one that wow. has both. Uniform the, I mean, or logo? Uh, if it's different answers, then both. Well, you know, I think the Mets are mm-hmm. kind of uh, a good example of that. They have had so fundamentally there too, the same look for their entire history since 1980, uh, since 1962. But if I was going to design a look for the New York Mets, I would start with the fact that what is a Met? So if you look at their logo, the skyline has evolved, mm-hmm. but it's kind of baked in a certain moment in time. I appreciate the Mets, even if we can't appreciate the Mets on the field of play sometimes. Well, there's a call for you to work on some other thing that somebody is going to put on a baseball, put on a hat, and some kid somewhere will ask for for Christmas and wear forever. So, Todd, thank you so much for this time. I really appreciate it. I hope we get a chance to do this again. Derek, this is fantastic. A uh, long time coming. I appreciate you. I appreciate the conversation. And uh, it was just so much fun. I really do have to offer up a special thanks to Todd Radom for spending all that time talking with me, uh, in some cases humoring me, putting up with some of my stories, because look, I could talk about art forever, I could talk about baseball forever, and the two of them combining could talk about them forever. You can find Todd Radom's work and his prints and everything at toddradom.com. He's also the author of Fabric of the Game and the book Winning Ugly, both of which you can find wherever you get your books. They're available on Amazon. Look, you could look around right now and you could probably i would imagine find something that he designed a logo somewhere on a hat you own a t-shirt you own a sticker patch ticket something some something somewhere i'm sure you own with his design on it maybe even on something that you cherish you know his work well and i hope this conversation now puts a name 
to that work. You can find the best podcasts in baseball anywhere you get your podcasts, including iTunes, where you can rate the podcast, you can review the podcast. Seriously, I listen, I go and check those to see what we can do better, what we should do more of. It was through a suggestion on Twitter that this podcast came to be. They said they, you know, someone would like to hear us talk. So cool. You know, I, I look for those kind of suggestions anywhere I can find them for what direction you want the podcast to go. So thank you for the suggestion that uh, that I that I invite Todd on so that we could have that talk. You can also find the best podcast in baseball and all of the constant Cardinals coverage at sdltoday.com. That's where you'll find the chats, the columns, all the work from Hall of Fame writer Rick Hummel because uh, the lockout has stopped baseball, but it hasn't stopped baseball coverage. The best podcast in baseball is brought to you, as always, by Closet by Design of St. Louis. And along with the coverage, the podcast will continue through this lockout, too. It just gives us a chance to uh, maybe have some uh, conversations from beyond the field, like this one. Look forward to talking to you soon. Stay tuned. Stay informed. Stay healthy. Thank you.